Hi, it's Eric again. If it feels like I'm always asking you for money, it's because I'm always asking you for money. That's because producing a high-quality podcast like Making Gay History costs a lot. Between ten dollars and $20,000 for each episode, for the audio and all the extra resources and archival photos you'll find on our website. One way to help us keep bringing LGBTQ history to life through the voices of the people who lived it is to join our Patreon community, $5 a month or $60 a year. And for that, you get a front row seat to my interviews with present-day history makers, behind-the-scenes production conversations, and delicious clips from my archive that we couldn't include in regular episodes. Right now, we have 200 Patreon followers. That's just a fraction of our many thousands of listeners. Can you help us double that by the 55th anniversary of Stonewall this coming Pride Month? We can't do what we do without all our supporters. And if you aren't one already, I hope you will be soon. Or, if you are already... Get one of your friends to sign up to join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. That's patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. Or just go to makinggayhistory.com and hit the Patreon subscription button on our homepage. Thanks so much. Now, on to the episode you've chosen to hear. Well, this book is for my mother, who should have been a lesbian, and for my daughter, in hopes that she will be. It seems quite... An outrageous epigraph, is it not? It seems that way. Lesbian Nation is the book by Jill Johnston. Well, quite obviously, you know, the much overused word controversial applies, but it's, a, it's provocative. I like the word provocative. It is that. She provokes, quite obviously. <laughs> anyway, quite marvelously, I think, too. Though I disagree with her, of course, on many matters. Uh, say, I, this is my way of saying. It's your way of saying you're a man. Way of saying I'm a man, of course. <laughs> At the same time, knowing full well that a great deal of what she says is, is bone-deep truth. I'm Eric Marcus, and this is Making Gay History. One of the things I love about mining the Studs Terkel Radio Archive is the time travel, the chance to go back decades and hear the voices of people I'd only read about, like Lorraine Hansberry and Christopher Isherwood, or the stories of people who were long forgotten, like female impersonator Les Lee. I also enjoy listening to Studs Terkel, his curiosity, his proudly lefty opinions, and the way he connected with the people sitting across from him. But sometimes that was a struggle, as you'll hear in his early 1970s interview with lesbian feminist separatist Jill Johnston. Jill Johnston was born in London in 1929 to an American nurse and an English bellmaker. Her father left the picture soon after Jill was born. She was raised by her mother and grandmother in Queens, New York. In 1959, Jill started writing for the alternative downtown newspaper, The Village Voice. She began as a dance critic and later moved on to writing more personal columns, where she embraced all things avant-garde and countercultural. A year after the Stonewall Uprising, Jill came out in print as a lesbian. Her focus shifted from the cultural to the political, and she began advocating for a complete break from men and their institutions. She got a lot of attention for pronouncements like, all women are lesbians except those who don't know it yet. But there was more to Jill than just her talent for provocation. Her work was welcomed by women who felt sidelined both in the male-dominated gay liberation movement and the feminist movement, which was often hostile to lesbians. Even at a time when radical thought was widespread, Jill's views pushed the envelope. 
and pushed Studs Terkel's buttons when he interviewed Jill about her book, Lesbian Nation. Let's join the two of them as they lock horns in a conversation first broadcast on June 29th, 1973. There's something I want to ask you about, not mm-hmm. challenge you, but just wonder about. You say that a woman is not free liberated unless she's a lesbian. Now, isn't mm-hmm. this kind of fascistic mm-hmm. on your part? Well, it's, it's uh, the use of the word fascistic. Is no, you know why I say uh, this? I'm, I'm saying when yeah, you say no right. woman yeah. can be a free woman, unless she's living, aren't you denying people the right to be what they are, no matter what? Well, we as women, as you know, there is a feminist movement, and women have been denied the right to be what they are. Uh, so oh, I agree. <laughs> I agree so, with that. you know, that's, we have to start with beginnings. Um, the, the, it depends how you're defining lesbian. You see, I, ha- I have a political definition of lesbianism, yeah. and uh, it, what it really means is self-commitment. And we know that um, we have a feminist movement because women have been been denied self-commitment. And uh, we're just updating feminism by calling it lesbianism because we feel that um, total commitment to ourselves would include every phase of our activities. <laughs> I see. I was uh, using the word Bonding then, of women. Using the word lesbian in a much broader sense. Oh, then. yes. Sure, I see. Yeah. Well, that's perhaps it should be made clear. I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's why this book is yeah. a political book, basically. Yeah. As a result of which, sometimes your stuff seems outrageous, but it's almost mm. deliberate. I mean, isn't that yes. the point? That is to outrage, <laughs> to disturb. Hmm. Well, I, 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 it's a funny thing, you know. I just say what I'm into. Yeah. You know, I don't. Yeah. I don't set out to outrage. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I and uh, it seems that that where I'm at is not. It, it does tend to be outrageous. And perhaps yeah. we could talk about that reactions to you when you appear. Publicly, mm. I'm talk. I'm not talking about the inner circles of New York or village or village. I'm talking yeah. about outside, west of the Hudson. When you mm. appear, what is the first reaction? Uh, there's a great range, you know, from dummies to smarties, and and people in yellow dresses and heels and stockings and girdles to um, to. Uh, but you're not calling them dummies, though, are you? Yeah. Girls in yellow dresses. Why? Well, I had this experience in Seattle recently. A woman in a yellow dress, <laughs> just like that. Who just stopped me before I got on? You know, yeah, she well. did, took a look at my boots and she signaled the director to cut our time in half, and and she was uh, extremely hostile. Well, really, you know, nah, it's nah. just acting as a censor. Yeah. Now, what do you think made her do that? Fear. Yeah, I suppose. Well, I I think um, it's the way the culture uh, has brought us all up. You know, and uh, it's in the last decade or so that. Um, with psychedelics and people's heads have opened up more and they're uh, more accepting, if not just tolerant, of uh, all different ways of behaving. Uh, America hasn't been noted for its uh, tolerance of uh, just eccentricity, Mm -hmm. people who are eccentric. People who are different. Yeah, Yeah, just because they wear checkered hats or something. But how did it begin, yourself, your consciousness, your awareness, that say you were a lesbian? Mm -hmm. Mm. A lesbian now in the sexual yeah. sense, you know. Well, I was born a lesbian, yeah. you know. <laughs> I suppose all men are lesbians, too, from that point of view. <laughs> it's all men came out of their mothers. Yeah. Uh, our first great yeah. sexual experience was with our mothers. And I think that all sexual experience afterwards is a recreation of that experience. And so from that point of view, it's a perversion for women to sleep with men or to, to be invaded by men. I think that... Uh, 
that women as well as men want to recreate their original unity with their mothers. Now isn't this, uh, forgive me, see, you have your right. Aren't you denying what is the natural impulses of people, each of whom is different and unique? Aren't you denying that right? Uh, you say, you say it's a perversion a, for a woman a to sleep culture, with a man, you see? You see? Well, uh, that isn't, isn't that an yes. individual matter? Well, we manner? live in a culture, and by definition, a culture is a perversion of nature. Well, I, I don't, I keep going. I don't quite, you lost me there. Well, you see, when you say natural instincts, we don't know too much what our natural instincts are by this time in history because we have been so diverted by uh, cultural conditionings of all, all of us have been so heavily conditioned. And um, so I think this, my book, is a story of growing up as a, as a conditioned person who was instinctively at odds with um, the social forces around me and not knowing that, you see. I was a, just a naturally acculturated female, although I had certain advantages as a female. I didn't have a father or brother, and um, uh, this permitted me more mobility. You know, I wasn't stuck in a girdle as soon as I was born or anything. I was very athletic and uh, what they would call a tomboy or something. And, and uh, then I became intellectually curious, and so I uh, was um, mentally mobile, too. And um, I, I found that all of this mobility was uh, in opposition to the social forces of, of the male world, which, um, which tends to prohibit women from this mobility at every turn. But I didn't know that this was happening, so this threw me into conflict with my culture. And um, so, uh, so that I think that my emergence as an outrageous person um, is really a recovery of my original mobility, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, and a reassertion of that mm -hmm. and the, the advantage that I experienced as a child. Yeah. I think that the, that which has passed between a woman's legs has gotten out of her control. You, uh, that seems to me a pretty basic way, of, yeah, basic way of putting a, it. Yeah, so she produced. Uh, it was a mutual production, though, wasn't it? I don't know. We don't know how, I mean, it, could have been how produced, it all came about. I mean, about. there was a seed, you see. Where'd um, the seed come from? Well, of course, we, we might have been closer to uh, parthenogenetic uh, types of animals. We don't know how this um, interdependent reproductive process emerged. We don't, we don't, uh, we, we really don't want to be dependent on another creature for our reproduction. I don't think psychically that we want to, and I think this is the tragedy of animals that are divided into two sexes, you see. You know, aren't you talking about something else? We hear the overused word alienation, mm. yet we know there's a truth to it. People remove one from the other. Aren't you talking going a step further in removal? person being uniquely not so, n autonomy by all means beautiful. But mm. You're talking now about removal from another person entirely mm. when you speak of a part Well, autonomy does tend to mean that does tend to mean removal. Autonomy to me means control of or self. Or it means, uh, yes, control of self, and control of self would mean um, bonding with your peer group. See? What about bonding with other groups? Isn't this what, isn't this what the hope, the salvation of the, of the human race you would be? You mean separate but equal or something? No, no. <laughs> I don't know. Words in my mouth. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you mean exactly. I'm talking the fact that you say it's a perversion for women to sleep with men. I'm talking now about the natural impulses of each individual to be 
lesbian woman to be a homosexual guy or to be a mm -hmm. a heterosexual man or woman and you're right of course it's a heterosexually dominated society yes a world I agree but let both um, or let all three or four or five or six whatever dimensions they may be flower yes but we're now engaged in revolution you're ah. talking in a post-revolutionary sense but you are thinking but don't you have to think in that sense too in other words you are taking what be an extremely militant position deliberately and the outrage is necessary but you you don't see this as the end that's what i meant i was assuming that you see this as the ultimate the ultimate destiny well, of well you know just speaking and thinking of the end is a kind of uh, a desultory exercise it's uh, it's <laughs> you know it's an it's a it's a fantasy why we're we're engaged in the immediate now you know <clears throat> if if we did live in a liberated society as a some utopian idea uh, just engaging in heterosexual sex for a woman would not necessarily mean being oppressed or you know uh, but uh, I think you have to separate the notion of the actual activity from the institution which lies behind the activity and uh, uh, so that we are defining ourselves as a class. The class of men oppresses the class of women, and the, inst and, uh, the institution through which they do that is the heterosexual institution. But you also, you have a child? Yeah, two children. Yeah, no, I, that's what I mean. No. Yeah, well, I just, I succumbed to the male corporation. I did what normal pe women are supposed to do, and I got married. So I, I was married for three or four years. Was that rough? It wasn't very nice. <laughs> my line about that is that my marriage was an exercise in violence interrupted by short periods of violence. <laughs> Are you sorry you had the children? Well, I no, I, I couldn't say I was sorry. I'm not sorry about anything. I would only say that uh, I, I'm, I'm quite certain if I, if I knew better then, I probably wouldn't have had children if I had been politically aware. Because for, you know, what, how it, what it is for a woman to have child in society now without our communal child care centers and so forth. It's an impossible situation. Well, it's course. a sacrificial <coughs> action and uh, we are now I think uh, directed towards non-sacrifice as women. But isn't there something else? Of course, obviously we're in agreement <laughs> about child care centers and, and, mm. the, uh, and the rights of women and mothers. Mothers, I said. Mm. Uh, so what 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 about your two? Ch I don't mean to be too personal, so stop yeah. me. What about your two children? Uh, your thoughts and their thoughts? I don't think about it much. Do you see them? Not much. No. I'm, I'm back to uh, the theme. There are now millions of lonely, alienated people living behind the billboards, non-celebrated. Mm -hmm. Homosexuals, lesbians, heterosexuals. How is the lot of these people? be endured and improved how you know in our society well, you can't have uh, you can't have a socialist revolution without a woman's revolution I mean the people at the bottom of the heap are women when people bring up human liberation I say well are we talking about feminism or not see feminism is about women we're talking about feminism plus well I'm talking about feminism because I'm involved in in a partisan movement because I'm involved in the movement that most directly concerns me I never thought I'd get into a social trip, you know. <laughs> Where's that? Well, I was so much on the artist trip and the mystical religious artist oh, trip. Oh, yeah, that may be worth, during the time remaining, perhaps, mm. that, how did that shift occur? You, you were an artist in your yeah. Greenwich Village, and 
Uh, when did the political and social Well, I was 69, aspects. really, basically, 1969. There was all that feminism around already mm. for two or three years or more, and I didn't, I, I just had glimmerings of it, heard a little bit, sifted in a bit. I think the way I came to it was that I was by that time an angry lesbian. I, I was I was pretty certain that by this time I was being discriminated mm. against, if mm. not as a woman, at mm. least as a lesbian. Mm. That had become increasingly clear. So I had by this time a personal, uh, confessional sort of autobiographical column. Uh, so I was beginning to come out, and then all of a sudden there was a conjunction of me and my anger in my mm. life with, mm. uh, with the Gay Liberation Front. Mm. And uh, that threw me into my, my first kind of uh, consciousness of, of myself as a political person. Mm -hmm. So then, with, then I gradually, over a period of two years, by, by 1971, I would say, I had read enough basic feminist literature to put the two things together. You know? And then the problem seemed to me to uh, articulate a lesbian feminist position. It's very, it was very clear. I couldn't separate myself at some point. Uh, uh, being a lesbian, being a woman mm. was all the same thing to me, you see. But you see... It means being a woman, identify a woman. But you see your condition was connected with the condition of others. That now, aside from... Oh, yeah, I started to go to those indignation meetings, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. I went to, went to a few of those, and I could see these people were angry, and at first they were the other to me. You know, they... You know how they, something is different. you're talking about now? Well, these women had... <coughs> uh, women and men at Gay Liberation Front <coughs> meetings, everybody yelling yeah. and carrying on mm -hmm. and really angry, yeah. and they didn't represent me at that time. Mm -hmm. They were still the mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. freaky people because mm -hmm. I wasn't who I was. But now I'm going a step beyond. Now, did you become interested in other matters, too, outside of gay liberation well, and gay life? Well, that, of course, then um, stimulated my uh, a latent interest in Marxism and uh, socialist thinking. I'm thinking also anti-war protests, etc. No, I never no. got into that. I think no. that's a man's game. How, what, <laughs> how come? Peace demonstrations well, tell and all me about that stuff. I never went to one of those. We're on to something now. Wait just a minute now. So you don't see uh, anti-war sentiments ex well, expressed in coalition and group as being anything to do with women's liberation? Well, yes, but I mean uh, to... Uh, to just get into anti-war demonstrations with men is to participate in the man's war against men, and to come and just to say I'm against war seems to be very simple-minded. It's so simple-minded. No, how even you didn't take part. Oh, I, I'm not. I'm not well, being righteous now. I'm not talking. Uh, yes. I'm talking now yeah. about the killing of women and children. Yes. And attempts to stop the killing of women and children. Yes. But they, the, not your because uh, because as long as we live in a man's culture, men will go on killing women and children. So what we are doing is so what are you, we're working on a, a woman's we're working on a woman's culture to stop this. No wait, how are you? You so can't. I'm about you direct can't. stopping of a bombing of Cambodian villages right now. Well, if they don't do it there, they'll do it someplace else. As long oh. as we have men in the government, they're going to continue doing that. You know what? I hate <laughs> to say this. If this is your approach, Nixon has nothing to worry about. He, well, uh, that's been my position all along. No, because this Nixon is just one guy. And I'm saying that if Nixon your approach, represents the approach the of all women, Nixon he has represents to the about. American people, and the American people are basically men. Nixon is no big deal. He's just like all the other guys. No, I'm saying something else. Oh, excuse me. I'm condemning you. Yes. I'm saying that if this was your if your approach about talking about the anti-war demonstrations and the stopping. 
involving men as well as women. Well, I have to use a metaphor to explain yeah. what I mean. Yeah. That is, you have, um, uh, let's say you have a, a tower uh, made of um, blocks, and um, supposing the inside of this tower is rotten, you know, and um, feminism is working at the bottom of this rotten tower. Mm -hmm. And until, until women's culture and until feminism and the female principle has more leverage in the world at large, they, they're going to ha go on having this rotten tower. And women and children are killed in the homes, never mind, uh, never mind Cambodia. Both. Women and children, why, oh, every, why, why not? it's the killing in Cambodia is a reflection of the killing of women and children in the homes. It's just a reflection. I'm not denying that. Yeah. I'm really saying that metaphor or no metaphor, of course the tower has to be rebuilt. Mm. But in the meantime, there are human lives involved. In the home, of course, as yeah. well as in Cambodia. I know, but if I, if I diverted all of my time into stopping the bombing in Cambodia, uh, you know, then I wouldn't have, yeah. I wouldn't have time to work on the real it. basis. It's obvious that Jill Johnson and I are just beginning our conversations. <laughs> we'll call this an open-end close. You know, I find that it's narrow. I mean, uh, much as I admire your position, I think mm -hmm. it's narrow in that it does not include the other. There has to be cooperation with this other species called mm. man, too. Well, women have cooperated with men for a long time. Any other thing you feel like saying? <laughs> Pardon? Anything you feel like saying, as we're saying. Uh, well, I think you'll see that, uh, that uh, in the end, you'll see that we're right, that, that this is the really broad approach to the world's problems. One of them. <laughs> Jill Johnson, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Jill Johnston remained committed to the feminist cause, although she later came to refer to her book, Lesbian Nation, as a period piece. She continued to write as a cultural critic and about her own life. Her final book was a biography of the father she never knew. In 1993, Jill married her longtime partner, Ingrid Neubau, in Denmark. The couple married again in Connecticut a year before Jill's death on September 18, 2010. She was 81. Many thanks to everyone who makes Making Gay History possible. Senior producer Nahani Rouse, co-producer and deputy director Inga Dataya, researcher Brian Faree, photo editor Michael Green, genealogist Michael Leclerc, and our social media team, Christiana Pena, Nick Porter, and Denio Lorenko. Special thanks to our guardian angel, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and our founding editor and producer, Sarah Burningham. Our theme music was composed by Fritz Myers. Making Gay History is a co-production of Pineapple Street Studios with assistance from the New York Public Library's Manuscripts and Archives Division and the One Archives at the USC Libraries. Season 8 of this podcast is produced in association with the Studs Terkel Radio Archive, which is managed by WFMT in partnership with the Chicago History Museum. A very special thank you to Allison Shine Holmes, Director of Media Archives at WTTW Chicago PBS and WFMT Chicago, for giving us access to Studs Terkel's treasure trove of interviews. You can find many of them at studsterkel.wfmt.com. Season 8 of this podcast has been made possible with funding from the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, proud Chicagoans Barbara Levy Kipper and Erwin and Andrew Press, and our listeners, including... Van and Tina Vandewater, and Hal Brody and Don Smith. Thanks, Van and Tina. Thanks, Hal and Don. If you're not already a subscriber to our newsletter, sign up so you're the first to know what we've got coming up. You can do that at makinggayhistory.com. 
Our website is also where you'll find previous episodes, archival photos, full transcripts, and additional information on each of the people and stories we feature. So long, until next time.